0: With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace at this Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here with Jeannie. How are you? I'm
1: well, Annie. Thanks for having me on.
0: How are you? I'm good. So good to be here with you. So, uh, why don't you sort of walk us back to the very beginning for you? Where did where did your journey with alcohol begin?
1: Oh, wow. Um, so in my 20s, I was living in Miami and I started casual, you know, party drinking. I was single. I was spending most of my weekends in nightclubs with my girlfriends. I worked hard during the week and then to go dance on Friday nights where the ladies drink free, you know, the mixed drinks and the shots. Those were typical typical choices for me and my friends. And, you know, looking back on it, I can see that it was easy to drink because the drinks were so fruity and full of sugar. So yeah, I'm gonna love that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would get like an occasional hangover here or there, but it wasn't, it was just like a nuisance. I would still go to work the next day, um, reeking like alcohol, uh, but I would just maybe pop a Motrin for the pain, you know, of the headache, or maybe take some no to stay awake for my shift. But I managed pretty easy. And then I'd say in my 30s, drinking became more regular and it slipped into the week with dinner, you know, a glass or a bottle of wine. And then I can't forget the day drinking that was added on the weekends. And that was super rough because day drinking just made me want to sleep and take a nap. And the people around me, I don't, they didn't necessarily nap. They just kept pushing through it. And so, but I had to, I had to go nap and sleep it off. So day drinking was totally rough. I could not hang with that. Um, And it was just, alcohol was everywhere for every situation, whether it was a baby's birthday, uh, a funeral, um, you name it. Just every, at the the beach, on the boat, it was everywhere. And none of us ever questioned if we were drinking. It was, what are we drinking? Mm -hmm. And um, we just, it became, we idolized it. We made it something very important. Like it was like the main event and had to be in every situation.
0: I can relate to that completely.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would, you know, think about here and there, Oh, maybe I should back off, you know, but then nobody around me was backing off, or at least I couldn't tell anyone backing off. So the only time I really ever considered taking a break from drinking alcohol was every January. Our church would do the Daniel fast, which is a fast named after a man named Daniel in the Bible. And we fasted alcohol and sweets and stuff like that. And I was successful at avoiding alcohol for January for the fast, but then as soon as February came, I was like, all right, time to drink again. Like it just, it it didn't make any sense looking back on it now. But then I began to notice like, what I like to call the 3 a.m. wake up call. Did you ever get that? (laughs) Yeah,
0: it was central. Oh
1: yeah. So my 3 a.m. wake up call, and I don't have trouble sleeping at all. I can sleep, I'm a very hard sleeper. But after a heavy night of drinking, like clockwork, my body would wake up at 3 a.m. and I could literally feel like trembling, shaking. My head was like spinning. I felt like I can't get up or I'm gonna fall down. And so I would lay there for hours trying to go back to sleep, praying I could sleep it off, but I just couldn't. And then when I would wake up, hangover was still there and it and they became to get so much worse. They lasted for days. So the hangover in my 20s was nothing compared to the hangover that I was experiencing in my 30s. No longer were the hangovers like a minor convenience. Um, No, they were hangovers from hell. And I had brain fog, headaches, dizziness, stomach aches and intense anxiety. Oh yeah, anxiety, thanks alcohol. I'd never had anxiety uh, before that. So, and this just lasted for days and I knew I couldn't continue on like this but I really didn't wanna quit drinking either. And I wanted to believe that I could drink maybe one drink and just stop, but I I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one day I asked a good friend how she quit because that was one of my drinking partners, but she still lived in Miami and I don't live there anymore. And she said she had, um, she quit through hypnosis. And I thought, I'm not doing hypnosis. I don't know why I thought that I wasn't gonna do that, but I just chose not to, but I was like, man, that works for her, that's awesome. So then I reached out to a buddy of mine who was an active drinker. And I said, would you quit with me? Cause I guess maybe I didn't think I could do it alone or I wanted some support. And she like square looked at me and was like, no. No, she was not ready. So, and looking back, maybe I wasn't ready either. Maybe I knew she would tell me no. So, interesting. but I knew a handful of people who didn't drink. And I would remind myself that I didn't drink as a child. And I knew that the alcohol and it's increasingly awful side effects were literally stealing days of my life from me. And I don't like to be stolen from. I don't know anyone who likes to be robbed or have something taken away from them, but my drinking... And in excess was an open invitation to, to the theft of the days of my life that I will never get back. And Mm -hmm. I paid good money for alcohol and I made it important, you know, wherever we went. I mean, we were the ones who would provide it many of the times. If it was our party, we would provide it. We want to make sure everyone was having a good time. And so... I just, I wanted better for my life. I wanted my life back. I wanted better for my 10 years of marriage for my children. And I just wanted to be present for my family.
0: Yeah. So such a good goal. So important. Um, I like how you say that it was just costing you life and having the presence of mind to see that because, you know, so often we're in the middle of it and we feel like it's the thing that's giving us life Mm. and, um, to be able to see that that's actually not the case is, you know, it takes a certain level of awareness for sure.
1: It's a huge awakening. And so as this process was happening, as I knew I wanted to get my life back out of nowhere, my dear friend, Jackie, she led me to your podcast and your voice was and is still so soft and tender. And you delivered the facts about alcohol to me in ways I had never heard in such a way that I would listen. It's just like your intro says, we discuss alcohol without judgment. And those words are key words to invite somebody in to listen. And that's exactly what I did. However, I was listening to your podcast and kept drinking. I would pray to God and ask him to take my desire away to stop drinking but I would keep drinking. And I would read my Bible that warned me about the dangers of drinking. I just wanna read them to you. I took some notes so I would uh, remember them, but. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. This was me. I couldn't stay awake because I wasn't sober. I needed to sleep it off. That was ruining my day. Proverbs 21 says, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. That was me. I made really dumb, unwise choices while I was drinking. Isaiah five eleven. How horrible it will be for those who get up early to look for a drink, who sit up late until they are drunk from wine. This is me. I got up early to relieve my drinking from hangovers. Mm-hmm. I would do that hair of the dog, right? Mm-hmm. So, totally. yeah, I would get up early just to to drink and 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 shake that stuff off that I did the night before, and and it's just a vicious cycle of wait a minute, the thing that made me bad is the thing that's gonna also, or the thing that made me feel bad is the thing that's also going to get me out of this. So you're Mm -hmm. like attached to it, but you don't wanna be. Yeah. So um, through prayer, through consistent prayer, reading my Bible, asking for the desire to be taken away, listening to your podcast and truth, um, I believe that that's what helped me. I know that that's what helped me Stop drinking. I have, I have not had a drink since September of 2019. When my husband and I went on a vacation, I had drank my last. I didn't know it, but I was drinking my last bottle of wine with my husband at dinner. The next morning, I woke up and I was just like dead to the world. I was like, "This is awful." Here I am on vacation with my husband. I can't even enjoy it. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. That was a huge wake up call, and so. You know, Annie, I know that everyone's going to have their own way of finding freedom. And you actually just made a post, I think it was on Instagram, about how we're all going to maybe get sober or stop drinking or be free from alcohol in different ways, whether it's AA, rehab, you talk in your book about spontaneous sobriety, you know, with your dad and others. And so I just feel like there's so many ways and um, I just know that what you're doing is, and I'm sure you and your team know this it's you're setting captives free and that's that's just what Jesus did when he walked this earth he came to set the captives free and that's what you are doing with alcohol you are people don't know but we're being captive and we're slaves to the idea that alcohol is good for us and I love there's a part in your book and I can't quote it because I couldn't find it but you talk about how we victimize people and we tell them oh you are an addict, or you can't be free from alcohol, but yet on the side, we're protecting the alcohol, but we're not protecting the person. But I feel like what you're doing is with your, with your whole this naked mind um, concept is you're actually devaluing and disempowering the alcohol and empowering the person and really putting value on the person, which society doesn't do. We don't value people, we value things. And what, Mm -hmm. what, what things can do for us and what people can do for us. So I, I love that you, I love what you're doing. And I'm fully convinced that what the Bible says about being sober is true. I'm also fully convinced that what you teach about alcohol is true. And when we know the truth about something, it gives us the freedom and the ability to live beyond our feelings about what we think may or may not be true. And there's way more power in the truth than what's in our feelings. So I, I have you to thank so much for helping me to live in freedom every day without alcohol. So thank you.
0: That's so great. Thanks, Jeannie. So just to unpack some of the things that, that you said that I think are so true, just to talk a little bit about that, um, the blame game, I guess, is I think what I called it in the book of who's to blame here. And, you know, society will have us believe, and I believed for a long time. I mean, I'd look myself in the mirror you know, or wake up at the 3am throes of the middle of the night and that pit of anxiety and and the upset and the tears that came with it. And just ask myself on repeat, you know, what's wrong with you? Wow. <laughs> what What is your problem? Do you, you know, and why can't you get this together? And it was Uh, I didn't understand why I was in control and felt like I had autonomy in my life in so many other areas. But I didn't feel like I had autonomy as much as I wanted, at least when it came to this, like I could certainly not drink for a few days or a week or whatever it was, but I feel miserable or upset the whole time. Like I felt as if I was deprived and missing out. And so it wasn't really freedom. And I think that that is one of the things that is so interesting is that we it's really hard to find freedom with rules, which I think is so good. If we, if we go back to this idea of, um, you know, just the, the stuck nature of the self blame, if you're to blame, then you have to behave in a way that is out of integrity with who you are. So say, say the humans, the problem, right? The humans, the problem. And as human beings, we just were born to drink. We just want to drink from a young age. And some of us just have this, this penchant more than others, and we're just desperate for it. And, and it's just definitely our fault. If we go you know, down that road, then the only way out of that is to be completely out of if if that's true for us like yes i'm just one of those people who just loves alcohol i was just born this way i'm just meant to drink it then the only solution for me when alcohol starts to create such a big problem in my life is for me to put rules around myself not to drink it because of fear and i don't generally think that that is true freedom i think it can work for some people because the fear or the pain is so great and eventually it can become freedom once we live in that new way of being long enough. But I think actually mindfully saying, okay, no, I'm, I'm free to do anything, Mm -hmm. but let me just investigate this enough and get enough knowledge about this thing to make an informed decision with the parts of my brain that are, you know, really the most human parts and the most, um, evolved parts wanting the best for me. And, and so have that, that conversation because I, I don't think that even if it's rules that we're putting on ourself, I think hard and fast rules kind of don't go hand in hand with freedom. And, um, and we are just bound to rules if we make ourselves the problem because then we have to police and manage our behavior. But if we can come out of making ourselves the problem and say, okay, wait a second, Maybe maybe my brain is doing exactly what it's meant to do. Maybe yeah. I was literally created to want certain things in a response to certain chemicals that are released in order to perpetuate survival and health. And then, but as human beings, we create things that you know make money and that are are attractive to people. And so all of those things, some of the most profitable industries of the world have one thing in common, and that's this artificial release of dopamine. So from first person shooter, video games, to Instagram, to alcohol, to tobacco um, drugs, of course, like all of these things, high fructose corn syrup, all of these things do one thing in the brain. And that is to trigger the part of our brain that says, yes, do that thing again. Mm -hmm. And by the way, do that thing again in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And so if we can step back and say, wait a second, I'm not the problem. I'm my brain is doing exactly what it's created to do. I was created perfectly. I am, I am whole and good, and I've actually, by the way, and this is hard for people to swallow, have the best intentions. I didn't go try to get myself into trouble or go try to ruin my family or go try to ruin my health or any of that stuff. I actually was trying to do the best by my family and myself, um, but I was just doing it with the wrong tools because I was given this tool and this substance that masquerades as something very attractive and then kind of you know the true nature of it is is really just you know falling asleep and death and numbing and and distancing from the more authentic parts of our ourselves. And so I think that shift from it is, the person who's the problem to it is the substance that's the problem is kind of the foundational shift. And then you can move beyond, okay, well, I have to do this. I have to do this because I have to police and manage my own human desires to wait a second, do I even want to do this? And, and then I think, yeah, true freedom does come beyond, beyond rules. So that was kind of a tangent, but.
1: No, I like what you say, though, because just because we're able to do anything we want in this life doesn't mean that everything is good for us. I mean, I could swallow a frog if I wanted to, but is that going to make me feel good after? But what I realized with the whole drinking thing and with any thing that you do in excess, whether it's excessive shopping, excessive drinking, excessive you name it, you fill in the blank, it's just you idolize that thing. And that thing takes a way more important place in your life than it is supposed to. And so it's, again, I think it takes, it goes back to what you just said was, it's not the human who was created perfect and good. It's not there, it's not a condition that now we become victims and totally disempowered, but it's actually the substance and the thing that becomes the focus that we need to, instead of heighten and idolize, we need to continue to devalue and disempower it. And I like I like what you said that we really, we victimize the person and. And that's what society just likes to do because for some reason, I guess for, for money, the alcohol companies, you know, and any company, you know, makes their, they dangle something in your face that's shiny and pretty, or, you know, even in your book, it talks about relief from the human condition, but it's, it's a masquerade. Like you said, it's masquerading as relief. And I, I know too that with, some things just become habit and you just, you have the craving because it's a habit but you don't even like what you're doing anymore or what you're becoming anymore and like you said losing your authenticity who you were created to be it's 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 a total identity theft right and so i just i appreciate what you've done about just bringing this this great news to the public and and just the truth and i love how you just do it in a non judgmental way and and all the resources that you're providing like it's absolutely essential to help people live in freedom. I love that. Thank
0: you so much. Yeah. I um I have a question for you um and Uh-oh. based on you know your your background and your knowledge of the Bible I'm curious about this. It's a question that gets posed to me a lot. And um so <laughs> if I'm catching you off guard and you, and you don't have an answer that's okay too. Okay. Don't don't feel pressure. Okay. But it's just popping into my head because I I probably get this question um so just to give you an idea we get three or 4,000 emails a week right now, which is just crazy. So, but I get this question definitely a few times a week. And it's just from people who cannot reconcile that in the Bible, Jesus's first miracle was to turn water into wine with, (laughs) um, with, with my work. And they're like, well, wait, like what gives, how, how can this, so they, they throw also the, like, the old Italian grandmothers who drink wine their whole lives. Like, how can that be wrong? How can this be wrong? And, and I have my own thoughts of course, but I'd love to hear your perspective.
1: Well, I've, I'd like to ask you, how are you responding to them now? If you are at all.
0: Um, well, I will be happy to tell you, but I don't want to color your opinion. So I want to hear okay. you. I want okay. you to answer first.
1: So I believe that Jesus, when he came to this earth, he, he, walked, he had to walk in the culture of the time. He had to, you know, they mocked him because they said, oh, he drinks and eats with sinners. Like people, again, Jesus came to set the captives free and the Pharisees and the priests at the time were like, oh, Jesus is coming. And he's, he's sitting with the worst of the worst. He's hanging out with the lepers and the alcoholics and the prostitutes. And and it was like, well, where do you want him to go? And even Jesus says like, I'm not here for the well. I'm here for the sick. And by the way, you Pharisees, you're sick too, but I'll get with you later. Like I need to come and heal these people who need me the most. I need they need to touch me. I need to touch them. I need, I need to be in their hearts. Um, so to that, what I would say is wine, obviously. I mean, there's so many scriptures about wine and new wineskins and the vineyards and the fruit, and there's even scripture that Jesus says, I am the vine and you're the branches. So um, for me, I would say that, um, something, are you still there?
0: Yeah. I'm still Okay. Here. Cause I
1: lost you. I lost your face. I lost your pretty oh. face. Um, so I believe it was culture. Um, he didn't even want, I don't believe he even wanted to perform any miracles, but his mom, cause he even told his mom, cause his mom was like, come on, Jesus, do something. The wine has run out. And he's like, mom, it's not my time yet. And so she says to him, uh, well, she says to the servants that were there, do whatever he tells you to do. And so he said, put water in these barrels and I will turn it into wine. And they said, oh, you save the best wine for last. Usually people save the worst wine for last after everyone's all drunk. Um, So, and I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get you back. So I think that Um, he did it out of respect for his mom and for being at a function where, um, it was just the sign of the times. And I don't think he wanted to come out and preach alcohol is bad for you. I'm not going to do this. But I think he did it just to show his power, um, in the world that he was living in. And honestly, I don't even know if he drank that because it doesn't even say anywhere where he drank it. And I don't think it it makes no difference to me. And this is actually something I want to ask you about too, is I know you mentioned in your book um, that alcohol is the same thing as gasoline that we put in our vehicles, right? Or did I, I read that no, right? right? Yep. No, that's okay. right. Well, what about wine and beer? Like is, to me, wine is a fermented grape. And, but I think it has the same effects as maybe alcohol and beer. But I don't think, you know, that, that wine, does wine fall into the same gas category as alcohol? So I'll,
0: let me talk about the chemical stuff and then I'll come back to how I've been answering that question. And thank you for, for your perspective. I think that's really interesting. Again, like people send in questions and, um, and I, I always find it fascinating. So chemically alcohol, uh, you know, hard alcohol, wine, beer, what happens? in the fermentation process is the chemical compound created in the fermentation process is ethanol. And ethanol is the same chemical compound that runs, um, isn't, I mean, you can have ethanol free gasoline, but there's also ethanol heavy gasoline and ethanol is the compound that gets you drunk in wine. Um, and so there is in any, in any alcohol, it's the same chemical. So even though it's distilled differently because even hard alcohol is made from things like potatoes or barley, or, you know, you can, you can really make alcohol from anything that you're going to ferment for long enough. So, but it is the same actual, like the, the little letters, the C plus H plus whatever, it's the same. And that's the chemical compound that is created through the fermentation process. So it is all, all ethanol, um, which is interesting. So what, what I say as a response to that is is kind of a fewfold. First of all, I have read, and I, I have a hard time, um, I always want to caveat things that I haven't actually personally read the study or been able to like verify the study. And of course this is ancient history. So I can't do that. But there is, there is some pretty good credible sources to say that the wine and beer of that day was very different and for very different purposes. And in some cases it was much less alcoholic for one thing. I think that's pretty definitively true. Uh, so in terms of actually getting drunk, it wasn't something where people were just drinking to get drunk and that's, I'm sure there's cases where people were totally drinking to get drunk as well. Um, but, but a lot of times people were drinking in order to, um, just not drink the water and, because the water had so many parasites in it. So I do kind of say like, you might wanna research this because this is a fascinating aspect of just the times that they were in. Um, but of course that doesn't sort of definitively answer the question. And so I really say that, that while I don't know that, I want, to, I, I kind of put the, the well, I, so there's three ways. So the first way is, is that aspect of, you know, Let's just explore the fact that alcohol itself might've been very different. We don't know for sure, but, but just let's, let's try that on. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. Right. The second one is that anything that is that we do that can be used for, for good or evil, you know, obviously like sex is the thing that keeps our humanity alive and yet i mean there's few things that can be infused with more evil right and so like anything can be used for good or evil so i can't definitively tell you that wine is evil and you know i never would say that but how we humans choose to use it i think can bring about um goodness in our life or can bring about ruin and destruction in our life. And, and I think that's really has to be an individual choice. Um, and I think it can, you know, we really have to do that. And then the third frame that I give people around this is just this idea of, um, does it matter? <laughs> like in like your present life right now, yeah. does it matter? Right. What if like- What if it was true either way, would it change your behavior? If you said, okay, well, wine must be fine but you're seeing the evidence in your life of waking up at three in the morning of having your in my case my teeth were stained purple my kid didn't want to sit on my lap you know all of this pain Right. does it matter like at the end of the day um i'm not gonna know you're not gonna know so you have to decide what's right for you and and i think that's kind of how i give it because i i didn't you know i don't have a lot of the
1: it's it's totally a question coming from uh You know, I think it goes back to people want rules and people want to say, well, well, if if Jesus did it, then I should be able to do it. And it's like, well, maybe you just can't like, like you're saying, check your circumstances. How how are you feeling when you're doing it? Like there's people who can't eat dairy or drink, consume dairy. Well, there's people that, you know, shouldn't be consuming alcohol. And that's probably everyone on this earth. If it's truly gasoline that we put in our tanks. But I totally agree with what you're saying. A hundred percent. I'm sure that alcohol was different historically. Just like wheat, they keep telling us the wheat of today is not like the wheat of our ancestors. So mm-hmm. now we can't eat, you know, wheat except you know, or consume it in moderation or in in minimal. Well, I
0: mean, even things like um, poppies, right? Like the medicine, the opioids that came from actually when before it was mass produced or chemically engineered, it was helpful. Um, Cocoa leaves people used to be able to chew those while working in the fields and it was like coffee or caffeine you just get a little bit of an extra boost is what I understand, but then cocaine clearly is like massively destructive heroin is massively destructive but we've taken this, like this poppy plant that has medicinal properties and then created something that is just so destructive. And I think that you know, there is greed at the center of a lot of that, yeah. um, the things that happen. You know, When I stopped drinking, which was six years ago now, the highest you could buy a beer, unless you looked at some specialty shop was maybe, and I remember paying attention to this because I wanted to buy the highest alcohol per volume drinks, mm-hmm. but the highest you could buy was like you know, six, 7% beers. And that was like really high. Like you're like, whoa, this is a strong beer. You know, now you can get nine, 10% beers. That used to be what a normal bottle of wine was. And this is just in six years. Now a high bottle of wine would be like 17%. And now it's over 20 in some cases. You can get just more like more potent Mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, you look at this with food too, you know, in the fifties, the size of a cookie compared to today, the size of a cookie or the size of a Coke compared to today, the size of a Coke. So we're just going this way of, okay, if a little of that is, is good, a lot must be better. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if, if we run up against a point where we're like, a lot isn't better, we do want that framework and that rules. You're exactly right. That question is coming from and of course, that's the question that has to do, I guess, with your background. But I get lots of different questions like this from, you know, whether it's the Italian grandmother question or whatever, but it's coming from, I want to convince myself that what you're saying isn't true because then I'm letting myself off the hook or I want you to give me some other definitive rule here and and framework so that I can like make peace with, with this because I need that sort of structure. And I think uh, the more we can move, like for instance, for me, and I know this isn't true for everybody. And we have to like just allow so much gray area if we're going to have this conversation of living beyond the rules, you know, that everything's permissible, everything might not be good living in this place of self-compassion. We have to do it at the level we're comfortable with it. I think often rules and structure can be really helpful in the beginning and in, in order to get your footing. Um, but for me, like I never would say I'm never going to drink again. Mm-hmm. And that like really blows people away. And I'm like, no, because for so many reasons, no, to be honest with you, do I think I'll ever drink again? I don't think I probably will, but I'm not gonna say that because I'm not going to conform in that way, both for my own brain and my own mental health. Like if I was to say that, I feel like, what if it's not as much anymore, but especially at the beginning, I'd be like, well, well, what if I'm at my granddaughter's wedding and I'm 96 years old and it's a champagne toast and, you know, it's really important to her because, you know, it's a Jewish wedding and they've just broke the glass and like, whatever. I mean, who knows what my brain can invent or what if it's an accident? And and it's just all of this stuff. Whereas for me saying, you know what, I drink as much as I want whenever I want. I just haven't wanted to drink in six years now. Like that feels like freedom to me. That feels like no, I am sitting exactly where I want to be sitting. I am making a choice that I don't have to do this anymore. Not that I don't get to do it. And I'm not, I'm, there's no self pity in that decision. It's, it's a real decision of like ownership of my own um, autonomy, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I think what you're saying is that rules don't give you a choice. A rule is a rule. You either follow mm-hmm. it or you break it. That's the choice so with you you're finding freedom in the ability to actually have your own choices and i like how you say there should be some structure there should be rules especially you know if if people are in the mindset that they might need it for a short term but i think like anything it just becomes habit like why yeah. would you go back to something that enslaved you or that stole from you you know your authenticity and your life and the person that you were like you know it just it just seems like now living in freedom, you have such a great choice that, and such an awareness and an awakening that you're no longer a slave to rules really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I can't imagine how many questions you get and those are really good questions, but a lot of our questions are to justify our actions or because we're afraid. Like me going back to my girlfriend and asking her, how did you quit? Oh, I'm not doing hypnosis. And then my friend, will you quit with me? No, I'm not quitting with you. Okay, well, I guess I can't do it because nobody will quit with me. Poor Jeannie, poor me. Like I can't do it, you know, but you know, I had enough of my life stolen that I was like, there's no way I can continue down this path, not with alcohol. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. I think rules give us a sense of safety that we feel like we need. Um, But I do think that freedom, you know, is when we can get beyond them and and create what I would say, and it's just very nuanced and there's a lot of questions because there's a lot of gray, but I would say what are sort of guiding principles where it, it takes it to where I know that this is authentic for me and so it's not a rule meaning, like I can never do it again, but it's a principle that I want to live awake to all of my emotions. That's something that's really important to me. Now it's not a rule saying like, okay, I'm going to be in trouble or there's going to be some punitive, you know, repercussions. Should I, I don't know, I can't even think of a good example, go get drunk and, and like tune out life or whatever for a week but the principle is because I know I authentically want to live awake to all of my emotions, then even if that rule was broken, I would come back to my principle. Whereas I'll often if we put rules and we hold rules as the end all be all, then when we break the rules, everything falls apart and, and we don't have the principle. Like, why did I make that rule in the first place? Why did I have that constraint on my life? Because I do think there's freedom and constraint, but it's I believe it's best applied from a place of like, and actually at the end of my second book, the alcohol experiment, we talk about principles in a way of non-negotiables. So what are the things that I am unwilling to bend or compromise on for the sake of this substance in a glass? And, but it's not in a sense that if you break this, you know, everything's wrong in life. It's, more in a sense that, okay, if you break this, it's a time to get really curious as to why and start to really dig in. And it is, it's very nuanced. It's not, I was actually just recently interviewed on, um, on the 10% Happier podcast and with Dan Harris. And I just felt like I did not, do a very good job <laughs> explaining this because he kept coming. I mean, he's an investigative journalist, right? Night, nightline, and he kept just coming at me from all of these different, very logical ways. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just very like. There's a very narrow way here, and it's right. it's not in the black and white rules, and it's it's also not in the total like, you know, live and let live freedom. It's it's kind of in this narrow, individual, um, fully empowered, awake, conscious. Of all my decisions way and it's it's not easy all the time but it is really yeah i think free so anyway i think it's it's hard to hard to discuss but fun fun to talk about
1: well what i like what you said is about staying curious about our emotions because i think when we stop when we lose our wonder you know kids are so they ask a ton of questions and they're in wonder and awe about everything and they want they have a million questions why 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 I think as we get older, we stop questioning and we just do. And so what we're doing, just, we don't question it anymore. We reach for the alcohol or we reach for the chocolate or we reach for the, the, you know, expensive thing we're going to put on our credit card because we're not thinking of, well, what's, how am I going to feel like after this? You know, because what happens is right before we do, you know, we, we take on the substance, let's say, or we perform the habit that we've created we don't feel too bad about it because or maybe we don't feel anything about it at all because it's just a habit it's just natural we just reach for the thing whatever the thing is but then on the other side of that it's huge it's disastrous. it's it's the shame game so it's minimized on the front end and then it's exaggerated on the back end so that when we're so that when we're And I think that's when we start making those rules is when it's exaggerated and we're feeling shame and guilt. We need the rule so that Jeannie doesn't come back and try to minimize it because it's not not minimal on this side. We just rationalize it and we ask these questions to justify it. But what you were saying about being awake to your emotions, a lot of us are uncomfortable in our emotions, hence how marketers are able to market us anything you know, whether it's alcohol or a new pair of shoes or whatever, um, but being curious and sitting in your emotions and saying to yourself, why am I going for this alcohol? I know I do this every Friday night, but should I? Is this good for me? How is this affecting my life? How am I enjoying this? Do I feel good the next day? Like, You know, just staying curious and, and sitting in that, you know, maybe you're uncomfortable, maybe you're stressed, maybe you're having anxiety and you're just like reaching for the bottle or whatever it is. But just to take a minute of like self-reflection, because I know I didn't, I know I would go for the bottle of wine. I think, oh, it's just a glass. It's just a glass. I would tell myself I would minimize it by the end of the bottle. And the next day I was like, what did I do? Why did I do this again? Had I asked myself at that moment, okay, Jeannie, what are you feeling? Sit in this, sit in your feeling, ask yourself, what are you feeling? Like be awake because you're about to dull your emotions by doing X, Y, Z. You're about to go bye-bye about to go night-night like you're gonna check out you know depending on how much you drink or how much you do excessive whatever so i think you're you're right about just be curious and stay stay awake to your emotions it's okay to be uncomfortable and we just don't want to be uncomfortable anymore it's not comfortable Mm -hmm. to be uncomfortable it's so convenient to want to be comfortable and, and reach for the things that are conveniently in front of us or that are conveniently in our in our thinking patterns and our habit patterns, and you know I always I I love what uh, I was taught a couple of years ago was to think about what you're thinking about. What are you thinking yeah. about? What is causing you to reach for this? So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I really like that. And I think that rules are very much, especially how you described it, of like, okay, I know this is making me feel bad, so I'm gonna put rules around this. I think they're a huge tool in the early days, right? That was literally my tool, was I'm gonna create a rule for myself that there's no drinking until Friday night, or there's, when I couldn't keep that one, no drinking until Thursday night. I think where it goes off the rails is when we break the rule, we blame ourselves more, and we get stuck in the cycle of blame and shame instead of breaking the rule should, I believe, create just this huge sense of curiosity. Well, why couldn't I keep that? Why was it so hard for me to say no to that third glass of wine? Why was it so hard for me not to drink? What else is going on? Uh, and, And I think that opens the door to, you know, the conversation in general.
1: I like that. So instead of shaming yourself after you break your own rule, or maybe a rule that someone you've agreed upon, maybe someone in your life has brought up to you, hey, this is a problem. We need to create some boundaries or some expectations. And instead of shaming that person, that person goes into like a self-reflection and journals and 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 decides, you know, is this the way I want to keep feeling? But again, I, I just love how you, you disempower and you devalue alcohol and you empower and you value people. There's something that is just uncommon in our society. So... I love what you're doing. Awesome. Needless to say. Thank you. So um, I know you have a podcast. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Thanks for the opportunity. It's the Say So with Jeannie podcast. And I basically interview people that have gotten a second chance at life. Their life has been redeemed and they have found freedom, kind of like what we're doing here right now. So I thank you for letting me share that little snippet. I've been doing it for about a year now and I'm just, I couldn't be happier. I love, I love podcasting.
0: That's so great. And then Uh, If you were going to go back in time and talk to Jeannie of before who felt really stuck in this and tell her about what life is like now, what would you
1: say? Oh my gosh, girl, just do it. Just do it. Like, I feel like sometimes the hardest step is the first one and that we get, especially me, I'm a thinker. I love to investigate, analyze, think something. It's called paralysis of analysis. So I just, I just do nothing because I'm still in my thoughts and I don't have a plan but you know, we don't always need a plan. We just sometimes need step one, you know? So I would just say there's so much freedom on the other side of this and that you can do it and that your life is worth it.
0: Yeah. I love that. So good. Well, thank you so much. It's been so much fun to chat.
1: Thank you, Annie. Thanks for this opportunity.
0: Hi, it's Annie Grace. I wanted to interrupt this podcast, I guess the end of this podcast, to say that if you're totally serious about actually and truly and forevermore transforming a relationship with alcohol, really leaving it behind in the rearview mirror for once and forever and changing your psychology about it, we have a program called The Path that I've created specifically for you. Now, it's not for you if you're still dabbling or trying to figure out where you want to be or maybe even if you still want to moderate. All those things are fine. That's great. But if you're beyond that and you're like, no, I just want to be done with this. I'm ready to invest some time and I'm ready to just make this happen. I want the answer. I want the easy way out. Then I want you to check out NakedMindPath.com and join us in the path where you receive coach guided and community support so that you can truly make this lasting change that you want in your life. And as always, Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.